I want to introduce Jeff this morning, uh, Jeff Otto. Uh, Jeff uh, runs kind of the lobby area of our church, and uh, he is uh, like an intern here, and he's been going to school at the Pacific Evangelical School of Ministry, where he graduates in three weeks or something like that. You're all done all your work, though, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Okay, so part of his uh, training in a, as a track where he's considering where God has him for ministry is uh, learning to preach and sharing the gospel, and so he's going to be doing that this morning. I'd like to pray for him before he uh, shares God's word with us this morning, so let's pray. Uh, Jesus, thank you uh, for Jeff and for your word, and we just pray today that you would uh, just uh, speak to our hearts. May his words and, uh, and his thoughts be conveyed to our hearts in a way that your spirit convicts and moves in us. And uh, just allows us to know you and conform to your image. By your grace, we pray this today, God. Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you, James. Uh, in our Bibles today, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 18. We're going to start chapter 18. We'll be at verses 1 through 6 if you want to turn to those. Otherwise, uh, the lyrics will be on the screen. James, I need that microphone. <laughs> That'll give you guys a chance to find the, time, the, the page. <laughs> That's funny. <clears throat> All right, so let's take a look at that scripture that we're going to be in today. Step back in the light where you can see. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones to believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck to, and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Excellent. Thank you. <laughs> Before we... Uh... Before I get into actually expounding on this text, I want to talk about some, uh, something similar. Uh, when we look at the, the writings of the New Testament, there's lots of theories, there's lots of ways we can look at them. We can look at them structurally, we can break them down historically, we can look at them as literature, and obviously we look at them as an inspired text of God. And one of the uh, ideas that I, I came across recently was called the Great Inversion. And uh, this was specifically when I was doing a, uh, a paper for uh, the Pacific Evangelical School of Ministry. If you want to give me that first slide. And uh, we've talked before about how Jesus came to turn the world on its head, turn the world upside down. And sometimes we mean that by hyperbole, but actually we see throughout the New, the New Testament that that's what happens. And so we just start with just a few examples of these. Uh, we start off with a lowly maiden who's chosen to give birth to the Son of God. So if you think that this, you would think that if the Son of God was going to come to earth, he would be born to a princess, probably, right? A queen in a palace, not in a 
basically a barn, a cave, and put in a, a manger. Uh, the first people that hear about the Savior are the shepherds. I, I think we've talked about this on, on one of our Christmas sermons. Shepherds were kind of at the bottom of the, the social ladder, you know, didn't get much lower than them. And yet, that's who God chooses to announce the birth of his son to. And then the Jews were looking for a Messiah who was going to be a military leader, come and throw off the Roman oppression. And instead, they get this guy who says he's come to save them from them, their sins and represents the self-sacrificing Messiah that we see in the Gospel of Isaiah. And this isn't what they were expecting. So you see, we could like make a chart of here's what's expected, here's what we actually got. Uh, do I have one more slide on that? <clears throat> Jesus at one point said, you know, the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve others and give his life as a ransom for many. Again, you would think that if God came to earth, he'd be making great demands. You see, when the Greek gods and goddesses come down to earth, as we read in mythology, they expect some reverence, and uh, Jesus didn't come to do that. He hung out with sinners and publicans. He didn't hang out with the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the religious power brokers of the day. In fact, those are the guys he would you know, publicly ridicule, that he would talk down to, that he would argue with, and tell them, no, you're not correct. You're not reading the scriptures right. And then, uh, the last shall be first, and the first shall be last. Uh, Okay, yeah, Matthew 19.30. Luke is really big on that, too. Uh, putting the first last, the last first, the least shall be greatest, and the greatest shall be the least. The stuff that we don't expect is what ends up happening, and what is expected isn't what we get. So there's an inversion going on, and we can look through this lens. That's like a popular word these days, so I've decided to do that because it's popular. And say so that we can look at it through this lens of inversion, and uh, look at this text as well, because Jesus is going to talk about children. So in my next slide, I want to look at verses 1 and 2. So the disciples are finally kind of getting an idea of who Jesus is. We saw a couple chapters ago, uh, Peter confesses Jesus as the Christ. He says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then he t Jesus takes James and John up onto the uh, mount, uh, mountain of <laughs> transfiguration, excuse me, where they see him in his, his true divine form. And so Jesus is giving them glimpses of who he really, actually it's more he's been giving them glimpses. They're finally starting to put the pieces of the puzzle together. Okay, there really is going to be a new kingdom. There really is going to be a king who's going to lead that, and it looks like it's going to be this rabbi that we've been following for the past couple years. And so they start to talk amongst themselves, well, who's going to be the greatest? If Jesus is going to be, obviously, the king, so he's going to need some, you know, guys, some number twos in command or some other people to help him, who's that going to be? And so they come and they ask him, who is the, the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And while the disciples are starting to get it, we can see that they, they don't quite have it. And the very fact that they ask that question tells us that they don't quite have it yet. So basically they're trying to get their dibs in for whatever positions of power that they think are up for grabs. Uh, the kingdom of heaven, as it's been presented in Matthew up until this point, is the values Jesus teaches and the communal life of those who embrace them. Of course, that communal life being the, the 
the apostles, that inner core of 12, and then the disciples, and we don't know how big a group that was. At one point, Jesus sends out the 70 or the 72, depending on which gospel you're reading. We know it was at least that many people who were following him, and probably more that were actually following him as a Jewish rabbi. So you can't really be great or in command or in charge of a set of values. You might argue you could be in charge of that community, but Jesus is the guy that's in charge of that community. So again, the indications that they're, they're, they're starting to get it, but they're not quite getting it. They're, they're, they're making steps. Uh, on the next slide, we see... Uh, ah, yes. <clears throat> Let's see, I should be on... Give me verses 3 and 4. And I'll get talk while we get there. Uh, so Jesus talks about being like a child. Now that doesn't mean being childlike. Uh, children are great. They have great moments, let's say, like today. Those were great baby dedications, like James saying, nobody screaming their head off, nobody punching the pastor or grabbing the microphone. <clears throat> Our kids, being the father of three, I can tell you, have their great moments. And if you're a parent, you also know they have their not-so-great moments. And that's what we call being childlike. And that's what we tell our, our teenagers, not being childlike and grow up. <laughs> Got an amen on that. Very good. Um, so we see that Jesus doesn't answer the question as it's given. They say, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And as often Jesus does, he doesn't answer that question what he usually does, if you pay attention a lot of times, Jesus will answer a question with another question. This, he doesn't do that in this case. But what he does do is kind of like give us like the, the first visual aid in the New Testament. It wasn't a dry erase board. He actually pulls a child in and puts them amongst them and says, anybody who wants to be great in the kingdom of heaven must become like this child. And so, because the disciples aren't quite getting it, when Jesus knows that he's going to have to expound on this. At that point, uh, in that culture, in that Mideastern culture at that time, children had no value in society. It doesn't mean their parents didn't love them, but uh, they didn't have the value that our children do today. Um, I mean, we've got laws, special laws designed to protect children, uh, special education program, all kinds of stuff for children. Back then, you know, kids were raised by their parents, and it kind of ended there. Uh, uh, we remember uh, that Joseph was sold into slavery, so you could do that. You could buy a kid as a slave. Uh, sometimes kids were traded for whatever somebody wanted to trade them for. Uh, they were essentially property, uh, or they, they had the value of property. And so, again, here comes this inversion if you want to be great, you need to be like a child. Well, why would I be like a child? Because children aren't power brokers. They're not important. They can't gain wealth. They, they can't serve as soldiers. That was an important thing. They can't gain wealth and riches. That's something important. So why, would, why do we want to become like that? Children are beginning life afresh, and we talk about that when we when we are Christians and we're baptized into new birth. And so 
there's, we're seeing a corollary here again where we'll get to it's a foreshadowing, if you will, of that rebirth that, that Christ is going to be talking about and that we've seen him already in other Gospels. He's brought up with his disciples at this point. Children are trusting, dependent, and faithful. And this is how Christ wants his disciples to start living. Uh, if we can get that next slide. <clears throat> this is where Christ is, starts to tell his disciples, if you're going to be in this community and you're going to live by these values, here's what I want that to look like. You treat each other as little ones because there are no great ones in the kingdom of heaven. Uh, I can't remember if your Bible say it said little ones or not. I realized when my daughter was reading that uh, I use one, I use uh, uh, NRSV and we use ESV here at church, so some of these, some of the words might come out different. <clears throat> uh, but the disciples must become as little ones and treat each other that way with this same humility, the same almost innocence, if you will. You know, we don't treat ch children roughly, hopefully. <clears throat> and so similarly, the disciples are not to be that way. They're supposed to be loving. They're supposed to be forgiving. They're supposed to be faithful in this community uh, that they're living in because they're living up to those values that Jesus is teaching. That's what that community is founded on. And so that's what they need to be observing. And so that's what he's starting to teach them here in uh, this part of this discourse we're looking at. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, the Kind of the world versus the coming kingdom that Jesus is building. And we've seen stories that he's been telling about. Here's what the kingdom is like. It's like a mustard seed. It's like seeds that the sower threw on the ground. It's like he's always comparing the kingdom to this. He's always teaching parables. We've seen him do that. <clears throat> In the world, one's own self-assertiveness is what gets you ahead. That's how you accumulate wealth. That's how you become a good soldier. That's how you win battles. That's how you probably work your way to being an important Pharisee or Sadducee. That's how you, uh, you know, get to be a priest or whatnot. You know, there's always some vice and graft behind the scenes, and you're not going to get that being humble or shy or introverted, or timid. But that self-assertiveness isn't at all what the kingdom is about. And so it's hard to be great when you're not being, when you're not showing those personality traits. And that's what Jesus is saying, is in order to be great, you have to be the least of all. And what are the, the least of all and the little ones? He's, he, several different ways that he talks about it here and not do those things, not be assertive, not push your agenda onto others, but to make their agenda your agenda. <clears throat> because true greatness is not in receiving service, but in giving service. And as I, I just uh, quoted earlier, Jesus says earlier in this gospel, the Son of Man came not to serve, but, or not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. So he lays it straight out there. He came to die for our sins. He didn't come so that we would serve him. <clears throat> so leadership begins with humble servitude. And this is where I want to start talking about humility on my next slide, I believe. 
Jesus continues to continue, Jesus continues to talk about being childlike. Uh, so personal preeminence stands in opposition to the humility that is necessary to enter into the kingdom of heaven. I've kind of already covered that. Where the least are great, or the least are greatest, and the last are the first. And that kind of wraps up uh, verses 3 and 4. Let's just go on to the next slide. So he talks about one such child in my name. So he goes from speaking about children in general, which the disciples get, about their culture, to this one child that he's placed in front of him now. And it's, the child's kind of anonymous. We don't, he doesn't get a name. We don't know where he just like, you know, pulled him out of his hip pocket or what. There's just this child that Jesus uses as this visual aid. <clears throat> and uh, this humility, this non-self-assertiveness, this honesty, this innocence that Jesus is talking about is what he's putting in front of them now. And he's saying, look at this. This is what I'm talking about. Not being childlike, but being like this child is and having the best qualities of what makes a child a child. These qualities are what it is, or what is necessary to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Not this self-assertiveness, not being aggressive. Because again, the kingdom of heaven is this set of values in this communal life of those who value them. Jesus wasn't, doesn't want people, you don't have to come and fight your way into that or come in and try to be greatest or uh, a power broker in that because that's not what the kingdom's about and it's not open to people like that. He says to receive one just such child as this. So he, he, first he kind of focuses in on this one child and then he kind of opens it up a little bit. So one such child as this in my name. And he talks about even a single act of kindness. And elsewhere he talks about you know, he who gives even a, a cup of water to someone in my name is, uh, I forget, is blessed or is, is great in the kingdom of heaven or something like that. So where we've got a, a whole set of laws that the Pharisees are observing, we've got a whole world out there vying, you know, nations fighting powers against each other. He brings our focus down to doing something as simple as doing something nice for a child. Even one single act for one single child out of all the children on earth. Jesus is saying, that's important to me. That counts because that's what makes you great in the eyes of the kingdom of heaven. So he ends up asking the original question, that they give him who is the greatest with a completely unexpected answer, which is basically whoever can humble himself receives me. Again, not what the disciples thought they were going to get when they started this. Uh, So the child, essentially, because Christ talks about receiving the child in his name, so now Christ is, is, is inserting himself in there to where the child now, essentially, is Jesus. So when we do a single act of kindness, when we welcome one such as this, we're doing something for Christ. And what he's done by doing that is he has taken 
the least and made it the greatest because no one has greater significance than, than God, than Jesus. And certainly nobody should have greater significance in our lives than that. And so he's taken this child of lowly significance and he's given him the greatest significance of all, which is that of Jesus. And so he says, when you do something for one of these little ones, you're doing something for me. When you serve one lowly, dirty, snot-nosed little kid, you're serving the Lord, and that makes the Lord smile. And as I said, this coming kingdom, the nature of this isn't what the disciples thought they were walking into when they asked Jesus or that question. And on the next slide, sorry, my throat's really dry today. We go from the privileges of being in the kingdom to the responsibilities thereof. <clears throat> this is, again, where Jesus starts to show the disciples, Here I want, here's how I want you to treat each other. Here's kind of, I don't want to look at it as ground rules, but a set of values that I want you all to to use when you treat each other. Because, of course, again, he's, they're getting ready to go to Jerusalem. They're getting ready for the Passion Week. He's already started to allude about his death. So he's trying to get them prepared for that. And so he's trying to set up a strong community of believers because when he's gone, that community of believers is going to be the church because that's what Jesus leaves us with when he leaves us. Or he doesn't leave us the Bible. There wasn't one at that time. He doesn't leave us with other stuff, he left us with the church. And that's why the church is so important. And it begins with that community of believers that was following him around uh, throughout Galilee and Judea at that time. Uh, oh, yeah, this uh, is uh, Pastor Jim, uh, actually uh, Aaron will preach on next week. <clears throat> I think, I don't know if you're getting that far or not. Yes, he is. This is also foreshadowing what we're going to see next week when Aaron preaches about pastoral care. Um, of course, where we get the word pastor, we've talked about a shepherd and his sheep, keeping the wolves away. That was a, obviously an um, analogy that Christ used a lot in his, uh, in his parables that he told the people, because that's something that made sense to him. And so we've got a little foreshadowing of that here. Here's how you're going to take care of each other. <clears throat> He talks about leading a little one astray. Uh, and again, I'm not sure if my translation differs a lot from the one that we read today or not. But he talks about there's punishment for someone who does something bad to one of these little ones, to one of these innocent ones. So again, this is where we're talking about the responsibilities of living in the kingdom. So we've, okay, I can be humble, I can do these things. I can become a disciple and live in this community and be treated by my fellow disciples and my fellow believers with this set of values. And who wouldn't want to be treated that way, right? I mean, it's all good stuff we're talking about. But with that comes responsibilities. It means that you have to accept anybody that's in that community, anybody that's adhering to that set of values. Not, you don't just pick and choose. You don't drive someone away. You don't put a stumbling block in front of one that you don't like. And that's where my translation differs. I forget the next slide. <clears throat> uh, 
uh, committing sin is the, the, is the ESV, stumbling. We'll get it on the next slide, but uh, stumbling is the way the, my translation read. <clears throat> so there is great punishment given for one who leads an innocent one into sin because the innocent one, the little one, the child, you know, Jesus uses different ways of phrasing this, doesn't fully understand the nature of what they're getting themselves into. And again, if you read the headlines, if you read the docket at things that children get lured into these days, you know, I don't need to expound on, on that. <clears throat> there are severe penalties for those who are willing to lead the least of these into great sin, or into sin unwittingly because they don't know any better. And the greatest penalty of all, of course, is separation from God. And I just threw a few examples up there that came to mind. Adam and Eve in the original sin, out of the garden. Cain, the first murder, sentenced to wander the earth eternally. Sodom and Gomorrah, wiped out from the face of the earth, and so on and so forth. On the next slide, <clears throat> stumbling the... the the uh, thank you. Side effects, of one, side effects of one of my medicines, dry mouth. I should have taken that into account. <clears throat> my translations reads, whoever causes one of these little ones to stumble. They, the ESV that we were reading today said, whoever causes one of these little ones to sin. <clears throat> um, so that's why I have, well, what's the nature of this stumbling, which isn't all that clear to us. Or I'm going to say, okay, well, what kind of sin are we talking about? Uh, let's look at that. Okay, sin is sin, but what might this be? So I was reading some of the commentaries. I'm like, well, what out of some of the scholars, how do they unpackage that, as they like to say? <clears throat> you can just lead them, you know, lead them into sin. Cause another believer to lose their faith by whatever means you're doing that, giving them false doctrines, leading them into false teachings, leading them away from the church giving unfair criticism or discouragement to a fellow believer. We talk about encouraging each other. Encouragement is, looked, is sometimes looked at as a spiritual gift. Someone who can encourage others when they're down. Giving unfair criticism or discouragement. Again, who wants to be treated that way, right? We're talking about a set of values that a community is observing, and they're going to use a set of values to, that's how they're going to treat each other, and that's what they're going to do go out into the world on the Great Commission, and that's what they're going to spread as the church. <clears throat> uh, lack of pastoral care. Uh, the early, early church, and it depends on whose example you want to look at, uh, you know, Paul's or, or Peter's, about how much hierarchy we've got there. <clears throat> was there a leader, or was it just a, a small group <laughs> that someone just kind of led? But uh, giving lack of pastoral care to a fellow believer is also something that could drive them off. Uh, again, the, the black sheep that you don't want in the flock, and so you don't include them. You forget to fill their green bin. You forget to give them water, whatever it is. <clears throat> or, I like this one, failure to forgive. Because, again, in this, these values that we're observing, we certainly want to be forgiven. 
that's like, uh, if you're familiar at all with the Bible story, that was something big to Jesus. He forgave those who were, who were nailing him to the cross as they were doing so. That's something that we're taught to do. That's, gosh, you learn it in Sunday school on up. And so that's something that not only hurts the person that's not forgiven, but it's something that hurts the person who's not forgiving. Because I once heard it said that forgiveness is not for the person who uh, was sinned against, but it was for the, the sinner that did it in the first place. Or if you've hurt me, when you forgive me, it's not about me, it's about you. Because <clears throat> unforgiveness can be like anger. It can be like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. Uh, next slide. <clears throat> so if someone leads one of these little ones astray, they get the death, the death, the death sentence is pronounced. Uh, Jesus takes sin very seriously. And that's what he's conveying here. I mean, he makes no, no bones about it. He has brought this little child in. He's given this illustration, explained how we're supposed to become humble and innocent like a child, not childlike. <clears throat> and anybody that is unwilling to do, not only unwilling to do that, but to lead one of those astray intentionally, there's great penalty for that. And the... Uh, example he uses, which is hyperbole. Hyperbole means uh, an exaggerated example, like, you know, this, <clears throat> you know, whatever. I got this cat at home as big as the Titanic or something like that. Uh, great exaggeration. <clears throat> but he uses that to, uh, to illustrate his point and drive it home. <clears throat> so when he talks about leading these little ones astray, we ask, who are the little ones? Are they just children? We've been talking about the innocents, the little ones, the children. Again, I was looking through some commentaries, <clears throat> and uh, well, I've just mentioned here, it can mean fellow believers. Uh, it can mean anyone, yeah, anyone who is a believer. It could mean just others who are coming to faith, others who are coming to the church. Those are the ones that we want to be fair to, that we want to treat with the same values as we do. And on the next slide, <clears throat> so don't be humble like a child, but rather humble, that's a verb, humble yourself until you are humble like a child for the sake of the kingdom and God's glory. And that's one of those things where it's easy to say that, Jeff, how do we do that? <clears throat> Not through our own strength, but through his. I think I preached on uh, Jesus' temptation in the desert at one point, and you know, so we want to resist temptation. Well, how do we do that? You know, <clears throat> through my own strength, I'm going to resist more. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to humble myself. That's not how it works. Like with most thing, most things, it happens through prayer. You know, praying to the Father and saying, "Please, Lord, make me humble." And so, as I was composing my presentation, just this simple prayer of my, came to mind. God, make me humble, not just for you, but for you and others as well. Because we don't want to be humble just to be humble. What Jesus teaches us here is that we, he wants us to become humble so that he can work through us and others 
will be blessed by our humility. Uh, you can remain, I'm going to pray for us now. You guys remain uh, seated, and uh, the band will come up. <clears throat> Lord, I thank you for this opportunity to, to preach your word today. I thank you for everyone here, Lord. I ask that uh, if there's anyone out here, Lord, who, who came today needing to hear this message, that it will resonate in their heart. I'd ask, Lord, that you, you help us to be humble like children, that we recognize the difference between being childlike and being like a child. And Lord, give us that introspection, that ability to look at ourselves and say, how am I doing with that, Lord? Am I being humble just to be humble so that I can brag about my humility? Am I being humble so that you can work through me, Lord, so that I can be like salt and light and go out into the world and let your glory shine through me? Because that's what I pray for us, Lord. I pray that we will be humble so that you will be glorified and not us. And I pray, Lord, that we will be humble so that we can encourage our fellow believers and that that will multiply, Lord, and we'll take that out into the world and there will be more and more believers, Lord. Lord, I ask that you will bless us in this, that you'll lead us in this, and we just ask for your mercy and your grace, Lord, as we come before you with our humble prayers, asking for your intercession in our lives. Lord, we love you and we thank you. Amen.